CDND2 coming at you recording and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it. Danny, how you doing today? I'm great, brother. I'm ready to get... I'm excited about this book. I'm ready to get into it. After reading the first few chapters, I can say I'm excited about it too. I know it's going to be different to prepare for for a, a podcast compared to something like Bob Inc. Very different book. Totally different. In fact, this would be a book that children could easily read. Now, personally, the version that I have may be a little bit tougher for children uh, just because it's KJV English, and sometimes I have to read things twice, which you have the same version as I do, actually. Still, though, something, and Dr. Bush and I talked about this last week, how children can read it and understand it and enjoy it, and so can adults. Obviously, he reads it three times a year. And I read it, and it was hard to put it down. The chapters are short, yep. fun, um, totally different gear than a Bob Inc. or a John Owen or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I really think that that's what um, – that's what I th- that's part of why I texted you. I said, "Hey, we need to talk about the author's apology at the beginning, because that's essentially what he's saying." Um, in the beginning, uh, kind of like the author's introduction, uh, but Bunyan's giving a defense. Bunyan's giving a uh, apology in the sense of like an apologetic for uh, the place of a book like this. Um, and uh, he makes that distinction. People are like, well, why why are you writing in guise? Or why, why are you writing in allegory? Why don't you just come out and say the things you want to say in more of a systematic form? And he's basically given a defense for uh, this type of book, a uh, allegory, a story, a, <clears throat> um, a narration of, of events to... For for all these reasons, and he and he makes a bit of a um, well, I just like it. He makes a bit of a biblical argument. It's like, well, we see use of of different uh, literary genres in the scripture. We see use of parables. We see use of allegory. Um, so why can't why why shouldn't I make use of those resources that God has given me? Um, and then he met, he does make the point that uh, that you're kind of that you're making is like this makes uh, this makes these truths these biblical gospel truths more accessible than a, a systematic uh, than a systematic explanation or uh, kind of development of the gospel or of the Christian life. Or and it's even okay. That's the big picture. But as we're going to get into uh, today, it even gets down into, um, uh, you know, uh, okay, what is what does Christian do under conviction, and what does the slow of despond represent, and that that sort of thing. So not only is it just given a big picture of the Christian life, but it's also given specific challenges or scenarios or uh, common events in the Christian life. So it gets down into the weeds a bit as well. So it's not just the 30,000 view storyline, but uh, it also gets down to specific issues at the same time. 
so he's he gives like a a defense or an apologetic as his introduction of uh the the why this book is worth was worth writing and reading yeah thank you for that because uh typical to myself i did not read the apology yeah i was going to read it last night but i got busy i saw i saw that something that looked like an intro like oh skip it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's classic cold fashion right there. Yeah, that everybody. really is. Yeah, for, for the people who don't know, in fact, nobody's going to know this, but we started the podcast about a year ago, and we started with Bob Inc. Volume 2. I said, hey, we should skip Volume 1. It's just an introduction to theology. Little did I know how important prolegomena is um, with all the debates and things that popped up. Man, prolegomena is important, so we had to go back and do Volume 1. That's where we refreshed it. So, but that's good. That's a good explanation. Um, I don't see anybody in our day challenging the use of this genre. I think we, now, just because I don't see it, though, doesn't mean it's not there. I'm sure that there are people, some, some, um, to speak sensitively, legalistically minded people who would say that we should not do that. We should get to the nitty gritty and be crystal clear. Um, But I for sure see a biblical defense of this genre to, to put forward heavenly truths spiritual yeah. truths and i think that it taps into the mind in a certain way um, yes. you, you can take the the person who does not like to read theology at all and that's no harm done it's not a sin to not want to read systematic theology it's not a sin at all but you take that same person and give them pilgrim's progress and like oh man this is yeah. good yeah and if we can get away from the tv long enough and just actually sit down to read this it's it's hard to put it down it really is because it grabs the mind not only is it just like entertaining that we would say but it grabs the mind mm-hmm. and I, I i would love to have some neurologist come on and explain what's going on there when that happens but that's what it does it's just like when i read the hobbit uh, a while ago it, it grabbed my mind in a way that bob Fink couldn't the good thing about pilgrim's progress is that there's no question what the spiritual significance of the story is because oh, yeah. he makes it clear yeah and there is a spiritual significance, whereas with, with The Hobbit, though it's clean and stuff like that, there's hardly any, and I would say maybe no Christian yeah. value to that. Um, so definitely a good book, and and we're fooling ourselves as adults if we think that, um, you know, it'd be, you know, kind of funny or just kind of a waste of time or not deep enough to read Pilgrim's Progress because it is. It is deep enough. <clears throat> yeah, but on the... Something like The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. That is a fictional story inspired by, so or informed by uh, C.S. Lewis's and J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Christian worldview, Christ, you know, their Christian faith. Um, where rather Bunyan's trying to do something altogether. It's not, uh, here's a fictional story, uh, clearly written by a Christian because it has, uh, it's it's got a clear biblical themes or or clear biblical influence. I would say that uh, I think it's clear that Christianity has influenced their work. Bunyan's trying to do something altogether different. He's trying to um, describe Christianity, the Christian life, as in the form of mm. a allegory or 
what we would say like a fiction a fiction narrative not fiction in the sense of mythical but fiction in the sense of he's not recording uh you know this isn't a biography of someone's someone's actual life named christian it's mm. a it's an allegory yeah. it's a it's a play like like uh ryan bush was um kind of half play half half uh narrative uh half novel half play half novel like ryan bush was talking about last week there's a couple um uh a couple quotes in here just from the uh, author's apology that i that i'd like to read um but and then we can jump right into chapter 1 cuz that's where the real that's where the real uh substance is amen uh um so yeah a couple quotes in here really i just want to end with the uh i'll just end read the end of the author's apology he kind of makes um uh um so the the, this kind of summary of his case he says sound words i know timothy is to use and old wise fables he is to refuse but yet grave Paul, uh, but yet grave Paul, him nowhere did forbid the use of parables in which lay hid that gold, those pearls and precious stones that were worth digging for, and that with greatest care. And so he's saying, um, you know, referring to Paul's words to Timothy, saying, you know, uh, preach the word, or in Bunyan's language, use sound words. Don't give yourself to old wives' tales or. Uh, you know, to be carried away by the winds of spiritual, uh, by the winds of, of every doctrine. Uh, but that's a summary of, of Bunyan's, um, kind of Bunyan's uh, defense. He was like, but Paul didn't forbid this, and we see the use of parables in which there's gold to be found in this form of communicating truth. And it reminds me of something that I read recently. It had nothing to do with Pilgrim's Progress. Um, but I find this uh, a podcaster, blogger um, named Aaron Wren, A-A-R-O-N-R-E-N-N. I find him interesting to read. Um, he comes at things from a whole different angle than what I'm used to reading. He's writing about things that I don't typically read on. And he has a article. Um, it's got a provocative title. Let me th- try to think of what the title's name. It's some. It's something like if you're debating substance, you've you've already lost. Um, and so he talks about kind of the art of persuasion, and he makes a point to differentiate it from manipulation. He's not talking about manipulation here, but uh, he references Aristotle and. And describing there's three forms of persuasion. If you want to make, if you want to convince somebody of something, uh, you need the logos, the telos, and the ethos. Uh, the logos would be uh, like Bavink, a systematic, okay, here's a biblical, logical explanation, nope. uh, um, explanation, communication. Uh, what is faith? Faith is this, 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 this. It's not this, 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 and this. Um, but that's, uh, but if that's all you're doing, you're probably not going to convince somebody. 
uh, but you've also got to basically embody uh, a ethos. So you've got to be someone who has demonstrated proficiency. Like, okay, you've got to be someone that would give someone reason to consider what you're saying. Um, uh, so whether, so that could be anything from like convic- like credentials or proficiency in a field um, where you've got to take seriously what, what this person is saying about the subject. Uh, but it's also a wider than that kind of a character or an, or an embodiment of what you're trying to persuade someone of. Um, uh, so a very simple illustration is like, okay, you can be arguing for Christianity, but if your life is not shaped by Christianity, if it has no fruit in your life, why would, why should someone take you seriously about it? Um, if you're like, if, if it's pure logos, if it's pure intellectual argument, no one's going to care at the end of the day. Uh, and then the third thing is, um, uh, what, what did I say? Logos, ethos. Alas. I think, I think I messed up. It's not telos. I think it's, I would have to look it up. It's, um, telos would be the purpose, the end, the aim, the goal. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's it. Um, it was, uh, appealing to basically what he's, what he's saying. This is kind of a, uh, um, you know, I have a knee jerk reaction against things like this, but it's a, uh, basically it says you got to appeal to, you got to appeal to emotion. And he's not meaning that in the sense of, he's not meaning that in the sense of manipulate their emotions. That's what I was saying earlier. Uh, but you've got to um, not just communicate to someone's mind, but also communicate to their heart. Uh, Joel Beakey talks about a similar principle in preaching, in, experience, in experiential preaching. It is just like we're not just preaching to minds, but we're also preaching to hearts. We're you're trying to to cut to the heart or the soul of uh, of someone. Uh, and the reason why I bring all this up is that that's when you talk about Bunyan uh, of the Pillars Progress gripping your mind. Another way to put that is like capturing your imagination, or it's putting it's putting Christian truths, gospel truths that are going past your mind into your heart. I mean, there's legitimate times, I mean, first and foremost in Scripture. Scripture doesn't put out, the Bible's not given to us as a systematic theology. A Bible's, the Bible's given to us, God's revelation is given to us in, uh, um, in kind of like real-life form. It's, it's God's revelation playing out in the history of humanity and the history of, uh, the the patriarchs and the kings of Israel and the prophets of the Old Testament and then in the person of Christ and the apostles of the New Testament. So um, it, we're always given, God's special revelation is given to us in lived out form or in practice, if that makes sense. Um, even Even the epistles in the New Testament, they're being written not as a okay, Paul's not writing Romans and saying, let me, I, I, I want, I need a writing project. Let me outline theology. No, it's a letter to a church. Uh, so there's, there's a kind of a purpose to it other than mere simply writing it down. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's, 
in action, I should say. God's revelation comes comes to us while the play is going on, while the while redemption redemption history is going on. Uh, it's it's um, or it's, it's happening in real time, if that makes sense. Right. In a similar way, this is how Bunyan's writing. Um, and so there's parts of this book that I can't wait to get into that you're you're not only thinking through or learning a truth. Let me communicate a truth to you. But there's there's parts of this book that will that that will bring tears to your eyes. Mm. It's like no, you're not just reading it, but you're you're feeling it. And that's the point that that uh, I think Joel Beakey tries to make in preaching and what this article that I read by Aaron Wren is trying to make, that if all it is is about the facts or the substance or the logical argument, you've already lost, basically you've already lost uh, from his perspective um, uh, because that's not going to convince very many people. You've got to, you've got to appeal to their hearts. And this is what, this is what Bunyan does. You're, it's like, you're oftentimes you're with him, especially, um, uh, especially when he faces a trial that you have dealt with or are dealing with or consistently struggle with. Um, it grips you. Yeah. Grips you. Yeah. So many times I see in the characters myself. Yes. And so many times, uh, when it comes to the good traits, I see others in the characters, um, men of conviction, men of holiness, who, you know, various things resemble various people. So the people that he uses, the characters that he uses, you could tell he and the other Puritans saw them in their day, but also we see them in our day. Sometimes we see them in ourselves. Um. Man, it's it's really good stuff, and uh, thank you for kind of walking through that because that's so true. That's so true in in the in the call of evangelism. We don't just give a proposition. We don't just give truths. Hey, here's what the gospel is. Take it or leave it. Because at that point, it's no longer even the gospel. If we just give a systematic truth without any call, it's really not even a gospel because the gospel, the good news, the evangel. Um, calls men yeah. to repentance. This is this is what we're about to see an evangelist yes. in the in the opening chapter. Yes. Yes. He's not just a person that gives a lecture. No. He's a person that gives a call to the person. And not just to the mind, yeah. but to the heart. Because the mind is not good enough. Um now one thing as you're talking about this, I'm I'm thinking and you know, you and I really don't even have a written criteria for the books that we choose. Maybe one day we get um, consistent enough with, with this that we do, but no, that that wouldn't be just rolling with it, Cole. Well, that's true, <laughs> that's true. And you know, I, sitting here thinking, if we were to do that, like we would try it once and it would fizzle out very quickly, and we just be like, eh, let's don't pick that book, let's do another one, because we just roll with it, just like that, man. But one implicit, unwritten criteria. We have for a book is that it's got to be doused in the scripture. Yeah, we've yeah, never said that out loud, but it's like we're, we're not a. And there are theology books that are not doused in scripture. Um, so I don't want to assume that all of them are because that's just not the case. Um, but man, like when we read Bavink in one episode, I pointed out and I read a paragraph just to point out all the 
cross yeah. references that he cited for each thing that he said. Yeah, you read all the cross references, all of them, yeah. and yeah. to show how Bavink is doused with the scriptures. One thing that is my favorite part about reading the Pilgrim's Progress is to flip to the very back of the book where it has the scripture references to what he's talking about because um, it is over and over and over. And just like Dr. Bush mentioned last week, sometimes they don't even get them all. Right. Like you, as you're reading, you can notice how whoever put these citations in here for the scripture references, they missed them. And it's kind of entertaining to see. But just for the first part, there are 262 biblical references. What do you the, mean? What do you mean the first part? The first part of Pilgrim's Progress, because but, in this edition, there's oh, yeah, two yeah, different yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah. So there's just in the first part. So let's just say just in the first half of the book, 262. In the second half of the book, which is shorter, there's 142 cross references. And again, let me let me say this again. That's just the cross references that the people noticed so this book is doused with the scriptures if anybody has a problem with how this book was written um, chances are they're following the traditions of men because Bunyan loved the scriptures and he loved them in such a way that he wanted to teach them and as we as you've described a parabolic way to, to get a story across and to reach the heart with that, do you want to jump into chapter one? Yeah, before we do that, I just want to make a note so everybody understands. Uh, I wanted to use the same edition that uh, Cole was reading for the sake of much uh, much more easily being able to stay on the same page, quite, quite, quite literally. <laughs> um, we're using the hardback edition that's published by John L. Dagg Publishing Co., uh, which I don't even know much about that publisher. All I know is that they put it together a cool edition of it's pretty. the Pilgrim's Progress. It's hardback. It's got pictures in there. Um, part one is about Christian. Part two was written afterwards. It's about um, Christiana, Christian's wife and kids that we're about to see that he leads behind in the city of, Descri- of destruction. Don't give it away what happens to him in part two because I, I still don't know. Uh, don't don't give it away. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> we we might eventually come back and read part two. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. might come back. Uh, we're not. We won't do it back to back. Probably. You don't think so? I didn't realize that. No, because most of the time, uh, so there are tons and tons of editions of the Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe. Most copies that I have and have seen don't have part two in the book. Uh, So some of them do and some of them don't. Uh, But they weren't written at the same time. It's not like part one and part two, he wrote it all at the same time. Didn't realize that. Uh, if, If my memory serves me well, but that's actually a question for Ryan Bush. He's the resident Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress expert, obviously. Which, speaking of which, we need to have him back on again. If if he's willing to come back, at, probably uh, isn't. Probably too, <laughs> too cool for us. <laughs> we may, yeah, we'll we'll actually see how much he likes us. He likes us if he's willing to come back. He came in all dressed up yeah. and stuff. But so we're using the old English version, like like what Cole said. There are good uh, modernized English versions out there. 
Uh, so if the old English is a barrier to you, um, I commend you to look for a modernized English one. I know that Crossway has put one out. I think that Banner of Truth has put one out in modern English as well. So just give that sort of plug or sort of context before jumping in. One more quote from the author's apology, if you'll, if you'll, by way of transition, if you'll allow. Uh, Bunyan says, "Denied." <laughs> all right, all right. Next, no, go, ahead. go ahead. Bunyan says, "And now, before I do put my put up my pen, I'll show the profit of my book, and then commit both me and it unto that hand that pulls the strong down and makes weak ones stand." Mm. Um, Come on. That's when you say, watch me. Yeah. That's, if, you're, if you're preaching that in the sermon, watch me. <laughs> Man, so I, I love the first part of the story. Um, Danny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, a quick rundown of some things that I, that I saw. Uh, a quick, which I, I don't have a set way of how I'm taking notes in this book. I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go because this is a different kind of book to take yeah. notes for. Yeah. And it's, it's new for me. It's really a shifting gear for me too. But the way I first started was just by kind of writing down general things that happen. Now as I'm going, I'm, I'm really writing notes on special emphases for me as yeah. I see this. I'm going to give a quick rundown of some things that I got. Don't let that be like a, a lead for where we go because I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff that you're going to want to go back to do that. But there's a few things in the Pilgrim's Progress that Bunyan gets right about Christianity, about the world, about all of life that we as Christians must get right. And I want to put a, a special point on that and really hammer that down because in our day and age, we don't even realize, many many of us Christians don't even realize we're getting this part wrong, but we are. And that is, number one, where Christian once dwelt. With yeah, where does the story graceless. start? Where does it start? His, his name begins as Graceless. And the story starts in a town that Graceless lives in called the City of Destruction. Yep. Uh, really kind of flying by, skipping a bunch of details. He meets someone named Evangelist. Evangelist um, points to him the way that he should go after he has this burden on his back. Yeah. He's got a burden. He's got a huge yeah. burden on his back that will leave his back um, later on in the story. We won't tell how yet. But... As he's leaving, he's leaving literally this city of destruction. Now, I want to I want to point that out because many of us Christians often get that wrong. It's, it's very clear at this point what Bunyan is talking about in the story, yeah. and this is what I like so much about this parable form is that he leaves no cats in the bag. The cat is out of the bag as soon as he brings up the name. Like right now, I just read chapter five of, about a man named Talkative. You can assume what Talkative is about. Um, you can assume what is meant by the city of destruction and the fact that a man named Evangelist points him the the way of exit from the city and how he is to walk towards the wicked gate and it's going to be a certain kind of path and yada, yada, yada. We know what he's talking about. But we as Christians often get the name of the city wrong. I'm listening through the big podcast right now, Just Thinking, the Just Thinking podcast, the latest episode that they've given and Daryl, that's a commitment right there. That is a commitment. <laughs> I ha it takes me a long time to listen to it. Yeah. Good thing is they don't have a new one every day. 
Daryl really hammers home how we as Christians have gotten sin wrong and how we rename sin to something like brokenness. I'm going to take Daryl's point, and I'm going to apply that to this, which those would be great guys to have on the podcast. But as a side note, now, now I think you're dreaming. <laughs> Daryl, Daryl says how we we're trying to we're trying to get our our friends back on the podcast, <laughs> not not even people we we don't know. It'd be a blast <laughs> to talk to them. It'd be a blast to talk to you. But man, we, we want to rename the city the city of brokenness. Now, just think of how much that changes our perspective of that city. We look at that city when we call it the city of brokenness, and we see a bunch of quote-unquote broken people who are just misguided, who are yeah. great people in heart, but they just really got the world wrong, and they need a little bit of guidance. They need a little bit of help. That also changes the urgency up. See, if if Graceless lived in the city of brokenness, he wouldn't be fleeing that city mm-hmm. with such a heavy burden on his back, and he wouldn't have such a urgency to him as he left, but... The truth is the city is not the city of brokenness, the city of misguidance, the city of falling short. It's the city of destruction. And when you realize that the city is not going to be, you know, disciplined or kind of swatted a little bit, the city is going to be absolutely demolished. And not just the buildings, but the people that are in it for the sins that the people committed. Um, You see the urgency that goes on here. And so... Graceless is pointed the way by evangelists, and he's to go to the wicked gate. If you look on page 58, you see what it looks like when Christian flies from destruction, when he flees from the city of destruction. So what's, what is Bunyan trying to point out? What is he trying to get across here? The, the man must flee his sin, and he must flee yeah. the destruction yeah. to come for a refuge. Yeah. Well, here's, here's what it looks like, and this is what's going to get most people to stop right here. The neighbors see Christian, or they see Graceless, and they also came out to see him run. And as he ran, some mocked, others threatened, and some cried after him to return. Now, let's stop right there. That's going to get most people who are too proud of themselves, too cool for school, um too worried about some awkward moment. They don't want to be perceived a certain way. That's going to get those people to, to actually return to the city of destruction. And to make themselves feel better, they're going to try to rename the city or, to something else. Or they'll else. never they'll never leave. Never That's leave at all. At this point, this, yeah, they'll never leave. They look around and they see the people that are around them. So-and-so is going to think a certain way about me. To the person that's listening to this, I want to let you know that if you are in your sin, you are living in the city of destruction. And people are going to mock if you flee from it. But it's still worth fleeing. It goes on. And among those that did so, there were two that resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of the one was obstinate, and the name of the other pliable. Now by this time, the man was got a good distance from them, but however, they were resolved to pursue him which they did, and in a little time they overtook him. Now to skip along, they're, they're trying to get him to come back, and he says this, Then said the man, Neighbors, where are you come from? Where did you come from? They said, To persuade you to go back with us. But he said, That can by no means be. That is not going to happen, essentially. You dwell 
in the city of destruction, the place also where I was born. I see it to be so, and dying there sooner or later, you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. Be content, good neighbors, and go along with me. Now, come on, Christian. You have to have a little bit of nuance to what you're talking about. Do you see the weight of what he's saying? Why am I not going to go back? You live in a place that's going to be absolutely destroyed, burned to the ground. Now, is he being harsh there? Absolutely not, because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says everything is going to be burned up, that there's an unquenchable fire for sin and sinners, for the cities that they dwell in, whether they come in families or not. He's not going to go back because that's what it deserves. It's not the city of brokenness. It's not the city of some little sickness. Now, Danny, a while back I was talking with a guy at work, and I perceived that he was not a Christian. Now, come to find out he actually was, or to claim to be. So I was talking with him, and and it was clear he didn't understand the gospel, and so I, I tried to use a parable with him to kind of describe what I was talking about. And I talked about this village that deserved destruction and this and that. And uh, there is there is a king who will come and destroy this city if these people do not turn from this city, from this village, and, and go to the king's side. And he, he started talking with me back in parables, and he would say, but if that were the case, I would have to think, why would somebody from the village want to turn and be on the side of the king if the king is a person that is just going to absolutely destroy us if we do not. If we're scared of destruction and if we try to water down or just change or ignore the fact that this loving, eternal king is a destroyer of cities, is a destroyer of this city of destruction, if we don't like that, then we don't like Christ. If we don't like that, then we essentially don't like the gospel. Now, we can't be a Christian and just have the 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 loving parts, yeah. which all of the parts actually are loving. Um, but if we think that it is a, an offensive thing and a thing that should not be so that Christ is a destroyer, yeah, then we don't love Christ for who he is. I'm, I'm going to be preaching in a week and a half, continuing through the book of Jude. The next verse in Jude points out how Christ who led them out of Egypt, destroyed those who did not believe. To take it back to the story that we're talking about. Uh, now you're getting, now you're doing a parable within a parable. Now we're starting <laughs> to get way, unclear. This, this is, this is now like inception. This is like this, a screenshot of a screenshot. <laughs> this is now inception. We're, we're in a story in a story. Yeah. yeah. So let me exit out of this second story to bring it back to what I'm saying is, <laughs> But but real quick on the second story, um, uh, the reason why uh, the reason why you should turn, you know, what about a conquering God makes you want to join Him, uh, is because He's the good guy. Mm. Um, you know, going back to a Lord of the Ring, Lord of the Rings reference, it's like, uh, not like you don't realize like you're we're the orcs, we're we're the orcs. So yeah. yes. So okay, uh, um, if you're watching the movie, you're rooting for him to conquer 
if you were watching the movie, you're rooting for him to conquer. He's the good guy. Yeah. Uh, Let's get that right. Yeah, he's the good guy. It's not that. Uh, so we would be we would be well to submit to uh, a a righteous king. Yes, we would do well to submit to the righteous king, where he's conquering because that's the problem. the The city in your parable is rebelling against the righteous king. Right. Yeah. Not, not the tyrant king. Yes. Oh, the righteous king. Right. And that's a good point to bring out. And as the story goes on, Bunyan describes what the people are like in the city. First off, he already does it here. The fact that they are mockers, they threaten people, and they cry out. And and there's a picture. I can't figure out who drew this picture. I'm pretty sure it's Tolkien because there's a what looks like a J.R.R. Tolkien emblem in these pictures. <laughs> No, are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, I thought you were making Dead a serious. joke. No, 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 no. Dead serious. I don't, it may not be so, but it definitely looks like it. In the picture where Christian, quote, Christian flies from destruction, you got all these people wearing like hyper modest stuff. They're looking like pilgrims in this city, very covered up. The women have head coverings on. You can't see cleavage or anything like that. In reality, in reality, these people are half naked. In the city of destruction, they're half naked because they're wanting to show their bodies off. They're not wearing any clothes on. They're rough looking people. They're immoral looking people because that's to bring your point out. In the city of destruction, it's not a bunch of innocent people who have their own way of life who aren't bothering anybody. They are sinful, rebellious people who willingly and lovingly hate, as you said, the good guy. They hate the eternal king that has all the riches, all the love, who is in himself love. They hate him, mock him, revile yeah. him. Not good guys. And Bunyan is going to describe that as we go. So, Yeah, here here in the city of destruction, it's... Um, so in the Pilgrim's Progress, um, I'm, I'm not trying to disagree with you, but when we get to Vanity Fair, that's when kind of the outright immorality of oh. it, it we're we're gonna see that there. That's a good correction. Here here in the city of destruction, you have people that don't like that's that's what wakes Christian up is that he reads he finds this book, which is the scriptures, and in reading it, after reading it, not before reading it, but after reading it, the burden developed on his back. So he was he he realized that he was under the weight of his sin. That's what the burden represents. And he's like John the Baptist crying in the wilderness, um, and no one's listening to him. Uh, a, a voice crying in the wilderness because everyone's just like, um, or or maybe it's more like Chicken Little because uh, <laughs> Bunyan's like, look, this is a city of destruction. This is a city of destruction. Everybody's looking around going about their business and saying, look, man, you're crazy. You're, you know, um, everything seems well here. What are you, what are you crying wolf about? Why are you saying the sky is falling? Mm -hmm. And I think that's more the context here. And so in him trying to, he's like, look, no, read this book. This has a message. This is telling us what the city actually is. Um, People ignore them. That's people mock them. And so I'm not saying that this city is any less wicked. I mean, it's called the city of destruction for a reason. Yeah. 
Um, but Bunyan does a good job of like, okay, what is this city's sin or what's mm. the problem with this city? Yeah. And like when he goes to the next, when he goes to the next town, like in our edition, it's chapter two, I think. No, it's, um, no, it's in chapter one when it's talking about, um, uh, morality and Mr. Legality. Now that's all, that's a whole new place, a whole new scene with its own, own set of problems. Um, a question I have then for you is because as I read this, I try to relate it to our day too. Um, how do you think the city of destruction relates to our context? What part of our context does it relate to? What group of people, what area, what, what, yeah, what context does it relate to? I think the specific thing it relates to is that no one, uh, no one considers throughout. Um, I think it's a common problem that no one considers throughout their day or sometimes their life uh, that there's a coming judgment. Um, they just think they just think life is going to carry on like it is forever. And I think that's the point being made here is, well, Christian, uh, Christian even says, um, so he's burdened by his sin. He doesn't know what to do about it. Uh, he talks to his wife about it and his wife and kids basically like, Hey, you just need to go to bed. Um, uh, you know, they don't believe him. They, they essentially say you tripping doll. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Uh, uh, and they're even, it says that uh, they're even harsh toward him and would deride him and chide him, his own, his own family, and then they would neglect him. Uh, so his family is not hearing uh, Christian's despair, and that's really just all he is. He, he, has, he doesn't have any hope to offer them right now. All he's saying is, um, I've got this burden. It's a weight of my sin. I've woken up to the fact that we live in a city of destruction. We're not safe here. Uh, and this place cannot remove my burden, but I don't know what to do about it. An evangelist comes by, a preacher, an evangelist. Mm. You know what that sounds a lot like? Sounds a lot like a, a, a nominal Christian culture. And then this one guy with a burden on his back comes along and he cannot help himself. He has to repent. You, and, and the people call him radical. Hey, yeah. so, so you're just being radical. That's exactly what's happening. You're just yeah. being that because when you label that, um, give somebody that label, it's just like all labels. You're able to put them in a box and stop taking them so seriously and put them in a place where they can no longer influence you. You're just being yeah. radical. And what that does is say, I still have the benefits. I still have the blessings. I'm just not as radical as you are. I'm just not as urgent as you are. Um, now, I don't want to, that if we go too far there, it kind of leaves Bunyan's point. But nonetheless, Christian could definitely come off as quote unquote radical. But the truth is, he's actually just re responding to his sin yeah. in a repentant way and yeah. leaving the city of destruction. So it's not leaving the city of nominal Christianity or the the city of Christianity or the city of religion. It's leaving the city of destruction for that. Absolutely. Now, go ahead. You're about to say something. 
Yeah, so I'm just going to read a little bit here. So Evangelist comes to him and says, uh, uh, why do you cry? He answered, sir, I perceive that the, by the book in my hand, that's the Bible, that's the scriptures that he's somehow stumbled upon, uh, that I am condemned to die and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first and nor able to do the second. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to die. I can't face death. And I know that judgment comes after. And I, I know that I will be uh, basically crushed. I can't face the judgment. I'll be crushed under, under the judgment. And he goes on to say that because of the burden on his back, that's his sin. He knows that at the judgment, he'll, he says that it will sink me even lower, lower than the grave that he knows it's going to cast him into, into what we know biblically is, as hell. Um, uh, and so he know he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty. And then evangelist says, uh, if this be thy condition, uh, why do you stand still? He answered, because I don't, because I know not whither to go, or I, I don't know where to go. Um, then evangelist gives him a parchment roll and there was written within flee from the wrath to come. And that's that's what the evangelist does. And evangelist it, and uh, eventually tells him which way. Um, uh, Bunyan says Bunyan says, "Okay, I'll run, but I don't know which way to go. Do I go north, south, east, west?" He's just like, "I don't know where to go. You got to point me in the right direction." Evangelist says, "Do you see uh, that wicked gate, which is the the narrow gate? Uh, biblically, that's the biblical analogy." Do you see that? Look over this field. Do you see that narrow gate? Or a Christian says, no, I can't see it. Like, okay, do you see that shining light in the distance? It's like, yeah, I think I can see it. It's like, that's where you go. Keep your eyes on that shining light and go and go that way. Mm. That's the job. I mean, that now this book is coming alive. It's yeah. like, like uh, we know what it is as Christians. And I would even say, really every person knows what it is to be under the burden of their sin. Yep. And then as Christians, we know what it was like for the hope of the gospel to come to us and show us the way and say, okay, here's uh go this way. Uh, this, this will relieve your burden of sin. This will relieve the coming judgment. This will, re- this will um, uh, go this way to flee uh, death in this in the city of destruction because that's that's the picture that's being painted. If if a Christian stood still, and at the, at this point we know later that we know from later as you mentioned that, that his name is actually graceless. Um, if he were to stand still, like the evangelist asked asked him, uh, Christian knows he would be destroyed. Um, that's you know that's uh, the you know that's that's why the city is named what it is the city of the city of destruction destruction. This first part reminds me of First Thessalonians chapter one verses nine and ten. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's it. Christ I mean, delivers us yeah. from the wrath to come. Yeah. Also a good example of how 
saturate Bible saturated this is. Yes. So that's all that's almost like uh you you can't read the two without saying, right. okay, that's, yeah. But Bunyan knows what he's doing. Yeah. Bunyan's reading another book while he's writing this, and yes. that book is the scriptures. Yes. So so Bunyan gets it right. We must get it right. It's the city of destruction where the to flee the wrath to come. Nothing yeah. less than that. But, so but no one else believes him. None. And and he's a the good, minority. Yeah. And a good a uh good thing so apply uh like you mentioned earlier obstinate and pliable two neighbors run after him uh so uh christian it's like okay i'm out of here uh leaves his wife behind leaves his children behind i'm going um uh, uh, obstinate and pliable run after him and they're trying to convince him to come back and obstinate says this is on page 59 um Come then, neighbor pliable, let us turn again. Because basically Christian said, no, I'm, I'm not coming back. Then obstinate gives up. He says, okay, come then, neighbor pliable, let us turn again and go home without him. There is a company of these crazy-headed coxcombs. Uh, so he, they know that Christian is not the only one. Other people have, uh, seems to mean that other people have left the city or they're aware that Christian's not the only one saying this. Uh, there's a company of these crazy-headed coxcombs that when they take a fancy by the end are wiser in their own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. So Christian's not the first one. That's a modern, yeah. oh, he's just holier than thou. Yeah. That's um, a modern way of saying that. And and they can't be convinced otherwise. You know, with the, you know the whole city essentially was trying to tell christian to turn back or to stay it was like hey once they got this in their mind they're, they're i've heard about these people i've seen these people before once they got it in their mind there's no there's no convincing them those six men give a six man could be here give it a reason they're going let's let's go back or we're, we're done here um pliable so obstinate fulfills his name he's not he's not going to be moved he's not going to be convinced He's not, um, you know, obstinate is obstinate. Um, but pliable goes with him a little longer, a little further. Anything you else you want to say up to this point? Yeah, I want to point out something of pliable. Um, and if this skips ahead of where you're going with this, oh, well, that's cool. It's time to make some progress. Um, pliable says this. Pliable listens. And he says, you know, if he's got something to say, let's let's hear him out. Let's at least listen to him. So Christian describes what the book says about where he's going on page 61. Uh, so many different things. Crowns of glory to be given to us. Garments that will make us shine like the sun in the firmament of the heaven. Uh, where I'm going, there will be no more crying, no, no more sorrow. For the owner of the place will wipe away f- tears from our eyes. And so he, he, he describes what's going on. And he describes what he's going to. And Bible's like, you know what? That sounds good. Let, let's go. So they get to the slew of Despon. Yeah, what sounds bad about that? What what sounds bad about you that? Mean eternal life, glory, oh, yeah. a kingdom, you know. Hey, you know what? Give me that. Give me that ticket. Yeah. Um, Pliable figures out very quickly, with that ticket, with that easy acceptance of those things comes um, struggles, troubles, and tribulation in life. 
he doesn't know the he doesn't recognize to realize the cost. Right. Yeah. He did and he did not count the cost beforehand, which resembles so many different Christians now who think that they are receiving these things that they are an heir to these promises when they still still willingly live in the city of destruction and they live in the city of destruction because they don't want to be mocked and they don't want to go through the slew of despond christian who truly genuinely is the heir of these things realizes that he must walk through the slew of despond so when they get to the slew of despond uh or it could be translated into modern english swamp like a swamp yeah. <laughs> of despond, yeah. Swamp somewhere deep south Louisiana. Yep. Uh, they get to the slew of despond, and and Clavel's like, dude, you, you tripping? I, I'm not going through this. This is not. They they basically get stuck. Uh, he's like, you know, this, I, I'm getting out of here. This is not. Um, it says this, at this pliable began to be offended when they were in the slew of Dispon, and angrily said to his fellow, is this the happiness you've told me of all the while? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? May I get out again with my life? You shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire and on that side of the slough, which was next to his own house, so away he went in Christian saw him no more now i hate to do this but i want to jump ahead and i want us to see a result of pliable when pliable returns back to his own home does he go back to his old way of life when he essentially denies the faith what happens to him says this on page 132 um uh at the end of 30 131 to 32 um Yes, Christian, I heard that he followed you, talking about Pliable. He followed you till he came at the slew of Despon, where some said he fell in. But he would not be known to have so done. But I'm sure he was soundly bedabbled with the kind of dirt. And what did the neighbors say to Pliable? He hath, since his going back, been had greatly in derision, and that among all sorts of people... Some do mock and despise him, and scarce will any set him on work. He is now seven times worse than if he had never gone out of the city. Mm. So when Pliable goes back to his old way of life, he goes back to something that is far worse for him than what it would have ever been if he would have just left in the first place. And he quotes the proverb, it's just like this, for it happened to him according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. He is a reject of society. He is a man who's lapsed back into his sin and unbelief because he was unwilling to go through the tribulation that is guaranteed for those who seek to flee the city of destruction. And he goes back to it returns back to his own vomit mm. that's good goes on and he sees worldly wise man and Danny I need to leave it about 715 but we still got some time yeah so let's let's just get through the slow of the spawn and then we can we can jump into worldly wise man and Sounds morality good. and le- mystery legality next week um 
Uh, so, uh, Christian, uh, well, let's read some more. Wherefore, so they're basically they get stuck in this swamp. Uh, they they fall in and quite literally stuck. It's like uh, kind of like this picture of like a mud pit. Pliable manages to get out, and he said, "No, this is we've barely started, and you know, basically my life's already in danger. We're already getting trouble trial, like it, like you quoted or like you read from. Pliable's out of here, so he's he's pliable. He's easily molded one way or the other. He was easily convinced to go on the on the journey." And now he's easily convinced to go back, go back home. He's pliable. Yep. Um, uh, Christian though is still wallowing in the swamp. He can't get himself out due to the burden that's on his back. And notice that it never talks about pliable's burden. Um, that's mm, another point I want to point. Is, yes. That's another point I want to point out. I didn't is, notice that. Is yeah, pliable is, doesn't have a burden. He's he's not under the conviction of sin. Um, he just wants the benefits of, oh, wait a second. Um, wait a second. Christians go into this place where there's a kingdom and crowns and uh, everlasting life, and it's just like, well, who wouldn't want that? But he doesn't have the conviction that accompanies. Um, uh, it's, he's kind of like the rich young ruler in a way that, uh, that, yeah, eternal life sounds great, uh, but he's unwilling to. He's unwilling to give up his what would be like his love of money or his for him it was the sin of the love of his riches, his wealth, in order to attain that. He was never under the he didn't have a burden. He didn't have a burden from his sin. He didn't realize that he needed to flee the city of destruction. Uh he just thought that what uh what Christian was talking about that the the celestial city as is named later has to offer so there's no there's no burden which the narrative here seems to be that that's a reason why pliable could get out and go back home because bunyan says due to his burden he couldn't get himself unstuck he mm. couldn't get himself out of the out of the swamp of despond um so it goes on to say wherefore christian was left to tumble in the slow of despond alone but still he endeavored to struggle to that side of the slow that was furthest from his own house. So he was able to struggle. He couldn't get out, but he can kind of get across uh, uh, to the side that he that was nearest to the wicked gate or the narrow gate. Uh, the which he did, but could not get out because of the burden that was upon his back. But I beheld in my dream... Uh, this is now Bunyan writing. This whole thing is happening in a dream uh, while he's in prison. Imagine that dream. <laughs> <laughs> but I beheld in my dream that a man came to him whose name was Help and asked him what he did there. Uh, so Help does what he's named after and gets him out. And apparently there's steps. Uh, he's like, why didn't you just use the steps? And then Christian says, fear followed me so hard that I fled the next way and fell in. Help help says, uh, then said he, give me thine hand. So he gave him his hand, drew him out, and he set him upon the sound ground and bid him go on his way. 
Uh, so help gets him out. And then we get a description of what is this slow of despond. Um, um, and he said unto me, uh, this miry slow, so this is help uh, explaining to Christian what the slow of despond is. This miry slow is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the decent wither, uh, it is the descent whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run, and therefore it is called the slow of despond. For still, as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arise in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them get together and settle in this place, and this is the reason of the badness of this ground. So you take you take someone who is newly come to their conviction of sin and um and this is a common thing they think that um and i think this is the best thing from this chapter like this is my favorite paragraph from thus far in the story uh and this is when my first reading of pilgrim's progress i was just like okay now i'm hooked now i'm in this is because it's it's um com- it communicates an experience of the Christian life so well that it's so true that that someone can be convicted of their sin and think that it that their sin is so great that even after hearing from an evangelist, hey, go this way and your burden will be lifted, that uh that their sin uh, their sin throws him into despair, and they um, it doesn't use this language, but almost as if like um, that their sin is too great that the burden can't be lifted. Their sin is so great that the the gospel of of Jesus Christ is insufficient to lift to lift their burden. That their the guilt of their sin slows them from repentance. Um, and that's it, it slows them on their journey to grace. Um, it bears them down, it weighs them down, it gets them stuck in their um, in their uh, ways of conviction. So it's like someone who um, they're convicted of their sin, but they're not quite free from it. Mm. That's the slow of despond. That's that's the swamp of of despond, and that's what he's saying. It's like, well, this is where the sins and conviction of of people's deeds it flows out of the city and puddles here and this is why it was so hard for you to get so hard for you to get through it um that uh uh it it goes on to give give picture or analogy of like it's it's um satan bearing conviction or or accusing you of these things and keeping you from pursuing, from pursuing the hope. Yeah, and that is so true. Of, of, I, I think that's a common experience in coming to faith, in coming to Christ. Is that, um, experientially, you've got to come to the place where you're actually convinced and believe, and there's a helper there showing, you no know, Christ, the the grace of Christ, is greater than 
than all the guilt of your sin that that you've that you've that you've done. Yeah. Yeah, that's like what we would say in modern day, how we so often talk. Uh, in order for us to believe the gospel, we must realize that we are in need of a Savior. Absolutely. And this is what the Slew of Dispon does, um, it, which he already knew this because he saw that he had to flee from the wrath to come. But as he has the burden on his back, as you've talked about, um, that leads him to the slew and and makes him see... And the slew is a is a good picture of of the the gravity of our conviction of sin, and you know, and truly, like in real time, um, the the process of salvation is not going to last this long, most likely. You know, when we, when we see the need for our Savior, uh, when we see our sin, our conviction, and we're convicted of our sin heavily, and then. The evangelist has already pointed us the way to go. Once we go that way, you know, we instantly look and we see Christ and we see what he offers, the salvation that he offers. Nonetheless, in this process, like this prolonged process, we get to see that conviction. It reminds me of Isaiah. Woe for I'm a wicked man and I dwell among wicked men for I'm a man of unclean lips. Wretched man that I am. Started to make me imagine, this is a good thing about this book, imagining myself and imagining the time that we're in of the conviction of sins that we should experience. You know, it's a strange gospel. It's It's a different gospel. It's an alien gospel that gives us some good news without there being any conviction of sin. Hey, the good news is you're already a great person. And you know, we hear that gospel all the time. That gospel is preached all the time. You need to realize what is within you, the potential that you have. Here's how you unlock your potential. Here's Jesus. That leads us. The only conviction that brings is, oh, man, I I wish I'd have known this earlier of who I was before so I could have gotten a bunch of good stuff. No, wretched man that you are. You dwell in a city of destruction. Flee from your city. Flee from the wrath to come over the city. And when you see that and when you believe that, you're going to see how wretched you are, and you're going to descend into the slew of despond. But the gospel is there is help for you. Amen. The help will get you out. And as you get out of the help, not to skip too far from the story, you will see the cross. Amen. And your burden will Amen. fall. Man, this is good Bro, stuff. I'm, man, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm so glad we're doing this one. Yeah, for sure. This is one to dig deep into. You know, we we yeah. kind of um, started flying through Bavink. This is one worth digging in. Well, we would be in Bavink for a year if we were yeah, to dig yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is eight chapters. I think yeah. we can handle this one. Yeah. This concludes episode twelve. Um, lest you forget, we are having Quattro. Come on, next episode. So he's going to come on and help us talk about worldly wise man and a few of the guys like that. Yeah. Just remember. We'll see how far we get next week. Yeah, we will <laughs> see. Hey, we're going to have to meet longer next week, though, because that's going to be a lot to talk about. I can I can do that next week. Yeah. Wednesday or Tuesday, maybe. We'll figure it out. Incarnacion. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
Encarnacion. <laughs> Name that movie. Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre. That's Come a classic. On. <laughs> oh man. Uh, as usual, think of the slew of Despon. Think of Christian. Think of the city of destruction. We didn't even apply this to how we are to evangelize other people. Maybe we can do that next week. We talked about the vantage point of graceless. Maybe we could have talked about the vantage point of evangelists. But, man, there's so much to talk about in this book. CD, D2, coming at you, recorded in direct from the classic cast, where we remind you we just roll with it.